Hey, if you would, uh, in your program, uh, when you walked in today, there should have been a card that looks like this. It says you're invited. Uh, we're beginning a brand new Christmas series called The Thrill of Hope. And uh, one of the things that we would strongly encourage you is to think about inviting uh, one person uh, who's disconnected from Christ or the church uh, on the 22nd. And the reason we're giving it to you today is so that you have enough guts uh, for one week to actually decide to invite someone, and then secondly, that they would um, be able uh, to say yes uh, to that, hopefully. Um, 60% of all people who are invited to church will say yes. They just need someone to ask them. So if you can do that, that'd be great. Well, you know, our Christmas experience as a child is very different from our Christmas experience as, a, as an adult. Now, as children, if we looked at our Christmas experiences, we'd say that there are many commonalities. There's many things that we hold uh, in common. And for a child, this season uh, can be agonizing because a child has to wait and wait and wait until Christmas Day comes. My wife Jennifer and I, we have uh, two uh, little girls, one that's four and one that's six, and they are all about Christmas. In fact, every single morning since Thanksgiving, they wake up, and you know, you would think that them being pastor kids, they would be like, Mom, Dad, we love you, and we love Jesus, but this is the first thing that comes out of their mouth. How many more days till Christmas? That's all that they care about. And so my wife, to try to help them a little bit so they don't have to ask us quite as many questions, mainly that question, uh, we purchased a uh, nativity calendar or a Christmas calendar, and you'll see there are little pockets, and there are different characters of the Christmas nativity scene, and uh, each day they have to alternate back and forth or they fight with one another, but they alternate back and forth and they pull out one of the characters and then they can actually go ahead and stick it up on this Velcro board and they can create their own Christmas nativity. But they just can't hardly stand it. Because when you think about it, when you're waiting for Christmas as a child and some of you are pretty old, but you, you remember that? You know what I mean? Like, you wait, and you're waiting, and you're like, ah. Uh, and it just feels like the days leading up to Christmas are like the longest days of the year. But when it finally comes, there are two different responses. You know, kids are like, yes, it's come. You know, there's only three weeks till Christmas. We're so excited. And if you're a parent or you're an adult, and someone says three weeks till Christmas, you're like, panicking and you're freaking out and you're like we got to get all these presents and we got to get food and you know I got to work overtime to be able to pay for all this stuff you know and it's just a very different experience the other day my uh, youngest daughter Shiloh and I went to the dentist and there, we have a picture of her there and uh, we had no cavities we kind of have a competition in our family between uh, my wife Jennifer and I whoever gets a cavity. So I'm always like, you know, not praying, but hoping that she's so perfect that something goes wrong. Like root canal, I've had that. You know, cavities, I've had, like just something would happen, uh, and it never does. But this time, with no cavities, 
clean bill of health. And Shiloh is talking to the dental hygienist when all of a sudden she goes, you know what I'm getting for Christmas? And I'm like, I don't even know what you're getting for Christmas. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, please tell. And so she turns to her and she goes, I'm getting a La La Loopsy doll. I have no idea what a La La Loopsy doll was. I had to look at it on the internet. And then she said, and I'm going to get a cat. Now, when she first said that, I thought to myself, uh, you know, you ain't getting no cat. I mean, like, I'll move heaven and earth to get you La La Loopsy doll, but no cat, you know. And uh, then she explained that she didn't want a real cat. She wanted the La La Loopsy cat, whatever that cat's called. So I looked up on the Internet this week, $30 for that thing. Okay? But I'm thinking to myself, I better order it because pretty soon people say, La La Loopsy, we got to get it. And then everyone's going to, remember Cabbage Patch? Everybody, you know, there's none there, so we're like freaking out. We got to get this. But kids have a very different experience. You see, kids, uh, they see Christmas that it comes too slow. But adults often see that Christmas comes too fast. So the agonizing wait for Christmas, I think, is one thing that all of us as kids probably experience. There's another thing that we all experience, too. And um, this is time for mass confession here at uh, the jar. But how many of you as kids ever tried to look and find where your parents hid the Christmas presents? Okay? Okay, put your hands down. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, what do we call those people? Liars. Um, Because everyone, at some point, at least you looked. Now... Here's another question. How many of you actually found them at some point? Raise your hand. Okay? Okay. And then here's a third one. This is for those of you who are rebels. Okay? The rebels in the group. How many of you actually got the toy out of the box and played with it? Okay? Look at that. Some of you are like, man, I, I wanted to confess that for the longest time. But, okay? Now, here, this is like the one that tops it all. Okay? How many of you ever got it out, played with it, and broke it? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of us. Thank you, because you make me feel better. You know what I mean? The whole concern is if you break it, the only thing you have to do is get the right wrapping paper, and then when you open it up, you're like, Mom, it got broken at the store, you know? And that's kind of it. Well, this interesting dynamic of people waiting and waiting and waiting is exactly the experience that sets up the Christmas story. You see, folks, for generations and generations and generations of people, they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And there was only a small little group, just a few people. It's called a remnant of Jewish people actually stayed committed to believing that one day not Santa Claus would come, but the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one would come. I mean, generation after generation, people stayed obedient to God. They're waiting for the Messiah. The problem is the Messiah never came. 
I mean, for 99.999% of all the people who had been praying and who had been waiting, they never saw the Messiah come. And there was no fulfillment of the promise. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they waited and they waited and they waited, but the number just kept reducing. There was just a small remaining faithful people because most of the Jewish people, because they had waited so long, they bailed on the promise. They worshipped pagan gods, gods of wood, gods of stone. They abandoned their faith. They thought that the idea of the Messiah was simply a fairy tale, that it was a myth. I mean, who in the world would believe in a promise that was 2,000 years old? Because that's what they were waiting for, the the promise of Abraham that I'll talk about here in just a second. They'd been waiting for 2,000 years. But there was a small group of people who continued to live. And they believed that one day the Messiah would actually show up. Now today, as we begin this Christmas series, what I wanted to do was to share with you one of these characters in the Christmas story, which is found in Luke. Now, Luke is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, and uh, Luke was a physician, and uh, he was a writer, too. He wrote Luke, and then he wrote a second book called Acts, which was the first book of the early church. And he was a great writer, and I hope you can read his uh, stories sometime, um, Luke or in Acts. And um, he was like the John Grisham, you know what I mean, of writers of the Bible. He was just an amazing, amazing writer. Now, some of you are sitting here today, and as we talk about Luke over these next few weeks, you're like, what's the big deal with him? I mean, how is that relevant to my life here in 2013? Well, the reason is because some of us, at some point in our life, at some point in our Christian experience, eventually... At some point, God's going to be quiet. And he's going to seem inactive. And he's going to seem silent. And those times in your life when God, you feel like, is quiet, you will look around and you'll start asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I attending church? Why am I praying? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why am I listening to other people? Why don't I just move in with this person? Why don't I take the money? Why don't I take the shady deal? Why not just run off? Why in the world am I continuing day after day in my life to think that there's something bigger that's coming to me, that there's something to this stuff called Christianity? Am I just following along because my parents taught me to do that? Is this just something that I'm doing because I'm afraid that if I don't do some of these things that I might go to hell? Or is this just a superstition? Or is it really something that I believe in? And at some point, folks, in every single person's life, you ask these questions. You might go through a day of it, you might go through a month, you might go through a year, you might go through a season, a period of time, 
But even good, faithful Christian people sometimes ask the question, is this thing real? Where is this going? And I think maybe the central question that I've heard multiple faithful followers of God ask is this. And you can fill it in in your teaching insert. What am I getting out of this? I mean, when it comes right down to it, and I'm putting all this effort and energy, what am I getting out of this anyway? So if you've ever had that thought, if you've ever had that question, if you've ever gone through one of those periods of your life, the Christmas story is for you. So this morning... The Christmas story begins with a couple of characters named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And their story, folks, is not just their story, it's your story, and it's my story too. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. In the time of Herod, that would be the Herod that killed all the babies, uh, later on when Jesus becomes about age 2, he goes out and he kills all the babies. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So what this meant is that Elizabeth and Zechariah were a part of this priestly line. In other words, they were preacher kids, okay? And their parents were pastors and their great grandparents were pastors, and their great, 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 all the way down. This whole lineage is a lineage of people who were holy and religious folks. But then we come to some tension in the story, and it's in verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. What's that mean? What that mean is, means is that as God looked down upon him, he's like, they're doing it right. They are living it right. They are doing it right. And then it says, observing all the Lord's commands. Now think about that. In the Old Testament, there are 613 commands. And the scripture says that they observed all of them. They looked at all of them. So he looks down and he goes, man, they're doing it right. They're doing it really well. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. In other words, if they were to take a private investigator and they put it into their lives and they were snooping around to see if they could find any dirt on them, no dirt at all. They were blameless before God. And it was amazing. And this was a couple that did not give up on the promise that was given 2,000 years ago. They were just believing in it. And 2,000 years ago, from their time, so here's Zechariah and here's Elizabeth, go 2,000 years before, they're given this promise, but here's the kicker, 700 years, okay, 700 years from the time that they were on the scene, God did almost nothing for the people of Israel. That's what they felt. They felt like he had washed their hands of them. And yet these two people continued to follow. 
They lived their lives as if the Messiah was coming. They lived their lives as if if God was really going to leave heaven and he was actually going to come to planet Earth. But again, folks, again and again and again, 700 years, there's no evidence that he even cares about Israel. But they live blamelessly. I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're good people. But you want to ask them, you know, how's this working out for you? How's this thing really working out for you? Then look at the next verse. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So, hey, Zachariah, Elizabeth, let me get this right. You're being faithful to God every single day, and you're going to temple, and you're doing all of that, you're good people, you're missing out on opportunities to do other stuff that you could do, and this God that you're trying to be so faithful to, He won't even give you any children. You see, folks, in this culture, it was always a woman's fault. Now, some of you are like, that feels like that to me anyways, you know what I mean? In this culture. But in that culture, it was always the woman's fault, never the man. There was no medical knowledge. They just didn't know. All they knew was either a woman got pregnant or a woman didn't get pregnant. And as important as it is for many women in our culture to have a child, in this culture, I mean, if you don't have a child, that was pretty much the only thing they were considered good for. They had no political standing. They generally couldn't work and they were the most uneducated. Their kids were more educated than they were. And not only that, but then all of a sudden there's this religious stigma that comes. And all of a sudden, it's God who gives children. It's God who impregnates people. And so what happens is, if you don't have a child, if you don't get pregnant, then you must have a curse upon you. And that's what they believe. And so for a woman not to be able to get pregnant, there was a sense of shame and guilt and rejection. And think about this. Elizabeth is trying to be a righteous woman. And in her 20s and in her 30s and in her middle age and in her later years, she never has a child. And she finally comes to the point where she's like, it's just not going to happen. In fact, look at what the next statement says. It says... And they were both well, okay, there we go. And they were both well what? What's that? Advanced in years. It's over. It's too late. You're not going to have a kid. It's done. And we find out later on that they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And I've, I've seen couples go through the pain of infertility and they're praying and they're asking God. They're doing anything and it just doesn't happen. It seems like... God is saying no. And Elizabeth lived with this shame and this guilt and that she was this reject for her whole life into her old age. Now, this is what's ridiculous about this whole story is that the whole reason that Zachariah and Elizabeth are trying to be faithful is because of this promise that was 2,000 years before that given to this guy by the name of Abraham. So 4,000 years from today, 
but 2,000 years from when the story that we're reading today uh, takes place. And God spoke to this guy named Abraham. He became the first child of Israel, and this is what God promised him. He says this, I will make you a great nation. You're like, okay, that happened. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. How many of you knew the name Abraham before you walked in here? Okay? Almost all of us did. You know, his name has been made great. Okay. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And that happened for a long period of time. And whoever curses you, I will curse you. And what's the next two words? It says what? And all peoples. How many peoples? How many? All. All. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And so this was kind of the root of what the Jews believed, that there was something more for Israel. Because if you know the story, and check this out, I'm going to give you the, old, the whole Old Testament. Like if you've been scary about reading it or understanding it, I'm going to give it all to you in less than two minutes, okay? You ready? This is what happens. God gives Abraham this promise, and eventually Abraham has a son, and then his sons have sons, and his sons have sons, and eventually they go to Egypt, and they get to Egypt, and then they come back to the promised land, and they create the land that God has promised for them. And it looked like the coming of the age of the kingdom for all the peoples was going to come. And then they came to like their Camelot era, like when JFK, you know, and Marilyn Monroe, and all of that, and everybody's like, that was Camelot, that was the best part of our country. Well, this was happening with David, and then he has a son named Solomon, and everyone's going, this is going to be amazing, the promise is coming, the Messiah is here, and Solomon builds the temple, and then after that, guess what happens? It's like diving off of a cliff. The nation splits. There are wars. There are good kings, but they're mainly bad kings. And between Solomon and Zechariah and Elizabeth, there are 25 different kingdoms that come to power. And the number one description, I was looking at it this week, the number one description given to most of the kings who ran the country of Israel during this time was this. The king's heart was not right with the Lord his God, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Like 23 of the 25, there's only a couple that God said you're halfway decent. Everyone else was just bad, and the nation's getting wrecked. And eventually, the Syrians take over, then the Babylonians take over, then the Greeks take over, then the Persians take over. At one time, they're actually exiled, which means they banish everybody from the country. Say, this isn't your country, you're gone. For 70 years. I mean, Israel, folks, it ain't nothing at this time. It is becoming less and 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 less. And somehow, there's this idea that the whole world is going to be blessed through this itsy bitsy, tiny little country. <laughs> it's laughable. It's not going to happen. I mean, during this time, God's nation wasn't great. God's nation was not fulfilling any promise. It wasn't going to happen. It couldn't happen. Jupiter, the god of the Romans, 
That's the real God, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. And I was thinking about it this week. That here, think about Zechariah as he's a little boy. His daddy's a pastor, okay? And in 65 AD, or 65 BC, in 65 BC, before Christ, Pompey, the Roman emperor, goes into the temple, goes into the Holy of Holies, desecrates everything that's there. And the belief was that if you went in there, you would immediately die because that is where God is and no one touches God. And Pompey walks out and the thing is, nothing happened to him. And can you imagine the, the Jews at that time going, it's done. And I was thinking, here's little Zachariah. He's a little boy. And his dad walks in to the house and he's like, son, it's bad. I really think that God might be dead. The promise is gone. And he sees his dad crying and weeping. And yet Zachariah says, I will still follow God. I will do what God wants me to do. And he served in the temple. And Elizabeth served beside him for their whole life. But together, I'm sure there were moments that they were asking, why doesn't God speak on our behalf? Why doesn't God do something on the behalf of our nation? <laughs> and think about that promise. 2,000 years ago, that's a joke, man. That is a joke. I mean, there is no way in the world that this little, itty-bitty, tiny, weensy country that has basically nothing whatsoever, no wealth, no fame, no anything, could ever bless the world. I was thinking about it this week. The smallest country in the world is Monaco. It's right off the edge there of France. You know how big it is? 0.7 miles. That's all that it is. 0.7 miles. And this is what it would be like. Like, Monaco now is going to be a superpower in the world. You're laughing right now. Some of you are like, Mana who? Did he say somebody had mono? You know what I mean? Nothing. That little country, that little country right there, 0.7 miles, it's not going to impact anyone. I mean, at Israel, they're hanging on by a thread. In fact, many, many of the Jews had, you know, bailed on temple worship anyways. They're like, forget that. We don't have a belief in God anymore. And they believed that Yahweh was dead. The promise was over. But not everybody did this. Zechariah didn't. Elizabeth didn't. There was a small remnant. But if we would have had come to them at this time, we said, hey, Zach, hey, Izzy, I, wanna, I don't want to bust your bubble, but it's over. Like, it's a myth. It's been 2,000 years, and yet Abraham's, a few things happened, but for 700 years, God hasn't been talking to us. God hasn't been doing thing, anything in our country. It's over. Israel's never going to be a player in the world. This little itsy-bitsy, dusty part of the Roman Empire, it's done. People are wiping their feet on it. It's over. Give it up. 
you know what, you guys had a good long run, but you know you're old now, just stop, enjoy life, forget about it. God has abandoned you. Hey guys, wake up, God is gone. And if we would have uh, whispered that into their ears during this difficult time, guess what? We would be wrong. We would be absolutely dead wrong. Because the whole reason that Luke begins the Christmas story with this story is because this is the beginning, folks, of a brand new thing. God's going to do a whole new, brand new thing. And the reason that this story is important to you, and it's important to me, as I said earlier, that there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons in our lives, there are relationships where we wonder, is God active? Is God listening? Does God even care? So the story goes on. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So essentially there were these 23 groups of priests. And what would happen is they would basically gamble, but they would take uh, some dice and they would roll it. And whosoever name came up, uh, that's who became the high priest to go into the temple for that time. And the reality is, is that only one time typically in your entire life, so your entire life, you know, you're like hoping that you're going to hit it big. And finally, one time it hits, that's the only time you get to go to the Holy of Holies right outside of that presence of God. And he walks in and He's in the holy, he's right outside where the holy of holies, where God dwells. And everyone vacates the temple. I mean, it's just Zechariah and the presence of God. And it's a very, very sacred occasion. And an honor, I mean, this is like the honors of honors to be in this place. And then in verse 10 it says, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he's in there all by himself. No one else is in there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So I don't know what they were naturally doing, but the, you know, Zachariah's in there. He's doing whatever the priest things are. He's getting the incense ready. Everything's happening. Things are going. And then all of a sudden, whammo, there's an angel, like right here. Now look at this next part. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Then, check this out, but the angel said to him, let's read these next four words. The angel said to him what? Do not be afraid. And this is what is the standard message of angels in the Old Testament and New Testament all the time. The angels have to go ahead and they got to get this out of the way, you know. Now, the reason why they always start conversations with people in the Bible times is because when they say, do not be afraid, why do they have to say that? Because people are, guess what? What? They're afraid. 
They are afraid. You see, when I hear modern day stories of people that they'll go, oh, and I saw an angel. And the angel came to me and was a nice angel. And me and the angel talked to each other. And there was a conversation. And then I saw a light. I'm like, I don't think so. That's not a Bible angel. Because when a Bible angel appears, everybody falls on their face straight down. And why does that happen? Because people think it's God. I mean, Bible angels, folks, are big, powerful, (laughs) scary. Look, it's scaring me. I'm getting choked up. (laughs) Scary angels. And even when they're like, I'm not trying to be scary, they're just scary. And people will come and say to me all the time, I just wish that God would talk to me. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe not. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, when, you know, if you ever read the Bible and God shows up with an angel and they talk to you, it's terrifying. I mean, even when God, like, cranks it down, I don't want to freak them out too much, what's the scale? hundred. Ah, let's put it down to one. You know, they put it down to one, People still freak out. Why? Because God is God. And so the angel appears, and the angel has this good news, and he looks to Zechariah, and all of a sudden, Zechariah's like, Whoa! An angel! Now, Zechariah was a very good, holy, blameless man. What do you think would happen to you if an angel showed up? First celebration didn't even get that. I'm cracking on them, and they're just like, Oh, okay. I mean, he didn't have anything to be afraid about. He's blameless before God. He's okay, no big deal. But if an angel came to some of you, it would be like mass confession. Oh my, I am so sorry. I for, Oh, please forgive me, I promise. I will never again, you know, just on and on and on. And the angel's like, shut up, okay, whatever. I've got good news for you. You know what I mean? And so... Here's what the angel says. This is awesome. It says this, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. i just like to have that happen to me sometime. I don't even necessarily need my prayer answered. I would just like confirmation every once in a while that maybe... An angel would show up, not like a big one, maybe like a small one, you know what I mean? Like a cousin of an angel, that's what I want. But that they would show up. And I would like to know that God actually heard what I was asking for. And what, what would happen if God just whispered to you, If he just said, you know what, I heard you. I heard you. That'd be enough, wouldn't it? Just to know he heard it. Says Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, this isn't just any ordinary John, okay? This is like the John of all Johns. This is the only John that has a middle name. John the, what's his name? John the Baptist. 
And this is the whole Christmas story where it begins. It says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And then it goes on. The story continues. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Now, why would John the Baptist have to bring back to the Lord their God? Why would he have to do this? Because everyone, almost everyone, has abandoned the Lord. And they had good reason to. I mean, 700 years ago, there was this prophecy, and God hasn't done anything for Israel. I mean, it's like nothing. It's over. It's a myth. It's done. I mean, it's an interesting story, you know, that you can pass on to your kids, but it's a fairy tale. It's over. God abandoned Israel long ago. Verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, who was a preacher in the Old Testament, to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then look at this. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, look at this next one, men. I mean, even Zechariah knew what to say and what not to say. Okay? Check this out. He goes, I am an old man and my wife Well, she's along in years. Because you don't call your wife old, do you? I mean, she might be 93, no teeth, and, you know, bad shape. You say, oh, she's spring chicken, you know? <laughs> You've got to love the Bible, don't you? I'm old, and, well, um, uh, she is well along in years. In other words, the angel's like, okay, uh, you know, he says to the angel, okay, I'm with you, I'm glad you heard the prayers, um, but I've just been thinking a bit, little bit lately, I mean, we've been praying for this since we were like in our 20s, and then we prayed it in our 30s, and then in our 40s we were like, what the heck, we prayed this long, let's pray a little bit longer. But then when we turned 50, we almost stopped praying. And now I'm old, and my wife... She's old too. And the angel said to him, I love this. How do you know it? Didn't he just ask that question? How do I know this is going to happen? Zechariah, hello, there's an angel. And then he says, I am Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel, if you were wondering. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their, what's the last two words? Appointed time. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Let's stop the story here for a second. You mean God had this date on his calendar? You mean 
all these 700 years, God has not really done anything for us, and we've been waiting, but he knew this was... Yeah. You mean God never really abandoned us, even though we didn't see any results whatsoever? Yeah. You mean that God has not stopped paying attention to the situation that we're in, and that he heard all of our prayers, and not just our prayers right now, but all of these 2,000 years of prayers of generations of people asking for the promise of Abraham to come? You're saying that he heard... Mm, yeah. You mean even though God has been quiet, that God has not been asleep? Yeah. You see, this is the thing you need to know today, folks. At the appointed time, 